Just by way of hands, I'm curious, how many of you use emojis when you're texting? How many of you use emojis? Yes, most of us in here use those curious little cartoonish things. And I've been thinking about emojis this week, if you're wondering what I do. Um, I basically work one day a week for about, I don't know, 27 minutes. And then the rest of the week I golf and think about emojis. So I think whoever invented emojis did it for men. Because men, not me, other men, some of you out there, struggle with expressing their emotions and nuance in text messages. You notice that? We can kind of come across a little harsh, a little blunt, uh, a little curt, if you would. And emojis kind of help us, right? Put a little smiley face there, a little crying, laughing face, sad face, whatever. Emojis help us express a little bit of nuance and a little bit of emotion as we're, as we're texting. And what I've discovered about emotions over the years is that when you have a gathering of folks like this on Sunday morning, people come into the worship center. You've come into the worship center here today preloaded with a predominant emotion. Okay? Some of you, right now, your predominant emotion is happy. You're happy. You're glad. Something's happened either last night or this week or recently, and you are happy. That's your predominant emotion. And my word to you is this, that's fantastic, but stay away from me. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. Just joking. I'm happy you're happy. Christ said what? Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. I rejoice with you, okay? Congrats. Others of us here are sad. That's your primary emotion. You're going through a time of sadness. You're going through a time of grief, and that's your primary emotion. Others of us are angry. You're mad. You're upset. You're bothered. Something going on in your world, in your life, at school or at work or at home, and you're just a little bit of upset. Now, out of all those emotions that are here, gathered here today, there's, there's one emotion I believe that dominates. And it's not happiness, it's not sadness and grief, and it's not anger. And I would say the predominant emotion that, that I've seen over the years in doing this for quite a while, that we bring into a worship service, that we deal with on a daily basis, is the emotion of fear. Fear, being afraid. There's something about fear that's endemic, isn't it, to the human condition? And I'm sure most of you have heard of the, you know, flight or, you know, flee or flight syndrome or whatever, right? So you either, you know, you either flee when you have an emotion or you fight or as I said, flight, uh, you either flee when you're afraid and run away from it, or you fight, you bow up to that emotion. And now someone has added, I think, freeze uh, as well to that. But fear, I think, is, is a, an emotion that, 
we all have to deal with. That's a reality we have to deal with. There's healthy fear. There's things we should be afraid of. But there's also a destructive kind of fear, an unhealthy fear, a debilitating fear. And I've entitled today's message, Fear Contagion. Because what I've seen in my own life and the life of others is that when you give fear just a little bit of space, just a little bit of room in your mind, it starts seeping and it starts connecting to your heart. It starts connecting and spreading to other parts of your life. And all of a sudden, you realize that your life has become dominated. Your decision-making, your emotional makeup can become dominated and controlled by fear. And if we don't deal with the fear in our life, fear will deal with us. Now, the Bible talks about a lot of different subjects. The Bible does talk about our emotions time and time again. So if you are an emotional person and you want a, a book that's full of passion and raw emotion, then open to the middle of your Bible to the book of Psalm. We've been looking at Psalms for many weeks now and Psalms are awesome. Psalms are a, a great place where you can go to seek to live out your emotional life, your relational life before God. Psalms is, is real, it's raw, it's honest. And today we're looking at Psalm chapter 11 and in it, the psalmist talks to us about dealing with fear. How do we deal with fear so fear doesn't deal with us? Psalm 11, verses one and two. And, and remember my goal in this series, my goal in this series is to make Psalms, make it your go-to to help you go through whatever you face in life. So we have go-tos in life, right? When something happens in our life, we're stressed, we're afraid, we have certain things we go to. Destructive things and constructive things. But I pray that Psalms will be that ultimate source that you turn to in your life. I know many of you, that's where you go. And you love the book of Psalms. I love it. Hope you love it too. Psalm 11, verse 2. David writes, In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, Flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. So here's what's happening. David is surrounded by people we can see in verses one and two who are giving him bad advice. Horrible advice. They're telling him to cave into this emotional moment. They're saying, David, don't you realize we're in harm's way? Don't you realize about what's to happen to us? We need to run, we need to flee, we need to get out of Dodge, get out of town before they get us. They're telling him to cave into this fear. What are they afraid of? What are you afraid of? We're afraid of things and we're afraid of people who we can't control. 
right? That underlies a lot of destructive fear, isn't it? It's a fear of being out of control. It's the fear of feeling helpless. It's the fear of being unable to protect or preserve something or someone that you cherish. That's what's happening here. And what David's unwise, but well-meaning, emotional counselors are trying to tell him to do is to run from the conflict. Because that's what fear does. Fear makes you flee the conflict. It makes you want to run away or drown out or numb out or escape from the reality that's causing that real fear in your life. And fear will often take you. Sometimes fear will lure you. Sometimes it will drag you into the what if room. You notice that? What if I don't make the grade on this test, then I won't make the grade in the SMAP. I will not get into the school or grad school. What if? What if our company goes under? What if I have to get laid off? What if I can't make that payment? What if my kid never comes back home? What if? And the what if room causes us to start to cave into what I call the emotion or the emotional moment. The emotional moment. Because what we put at the top of our hierarchy in our society, in our country, is what? That first emoji, happiness. We want to be happy and we want others to be happy and we want our kids to be happy. And because we bow down at the altar of happiness and comfort, many times we live in fear of making tough calls and tough choices. And I don't understand it because I didn't grow up this way, but we live in a time where parents are afraid of their kids. It doesn't matter if you're in the church or outside of the church. We live in a time in a society where parents are afraid of their kids. They're afraid to set boundaries. They're afraid to discipline them. They're afraid to be a parent. Listen, if you're a parent here, whether you are a single parent or not, it doesn't matter. God has called you to be their parent and not their pal. That's, that's not your job, right? So I'm not saying, you know, if you're a mom or a dad, you need to be some detached, unemotional jerk and have a bunch of rules and laws without a relationship. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying in parenting, in parenting kids and bringing them up and raising them, it's your job to be a parent and not to be a pal. Maybe the pal stuff will come later. Maybe, right? But for now, God's called you to 
parent them, to raise them up, and not to cave into the fears that surround so much of our parenting, the insecurity that can get up next to us. Fear. Fear can cause you to flee the conflict. Fear can cause you to cave into the emotional moment. Fear in parenting. Fear in friendship. Fear in the marketplace for taking a stand when you know you need to take a stand. Fear. We've got to deal with the fear or fear will deal with us. Fear does not allow you and I to make good decisions. When we're making good, when we're making decisions based upon fear, we're listening to the wrong voice, the wrong emotion of the moment. Don't let fear, don't let the what if room control and dictate your future. God didn't design us to live a life that's dominated by fear. Fear gets inside of our minds, it gets inside of our heart. It's a contagion to start spreading into our emotions, into our thought life, into our work, into our families, our relationships, and fear can start taking over. Fear is a powerful force. And fear is, is something that we're always dealing with and always processing. I'm not saying, don't be afraid. Don't do it. Stop it. If you just stop it today and pray this prayer, you'll never be afraid again, again, again. No. That's not realistic. That's not life. That's not what God's word teaches. Fear is something that we all have to process and deal with. We have to deal with fear or fear will deal with us. Let's see what David did. How do we deal with the fear? How do we not allow fear to determine our future. What do we do? Look at the rest of this passage in Psalm 11, verses three following. He writes, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Right now we have front row courtside seats watching the foundations of our nation and of Western civilization crumble before our very eyes. And it's not just out there in the culture, it's in the church as well as people are caving in to fear and all kind of craziness. We should do a series on that. Maybe one, one we will do that once. Okay, that's a joke, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, verse four. Okay, the Lord... The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot, for the Lord is righteous. He loves justice, the upright will see his face. Now, when you read this passage, we have to realize that David, King David, as he's writing these things, is writing them, what, hundreds of years, centuries before the cross. 
So we know that God did come down to earth. We do know that Christ went to the cross, that he experienced the wrath of God on the cross. Justice for all the sins of the world were put on him, that if we trust in him, we can be forgiven and be made right with God. At the same time, we know that there's massive injustice in the world. And so there is still a future promise that when Christ comes again, that he will make all things right. Going back to fear, the fear factor. What's happening here? How does that relate to fear? Well, the people in David's world were caught up in the fear contagion. They were caught up in the emotion of the moment. They were telling David to cave in and run away and not deal with the fear. But what David was saying, David was saying, listen, I know about the wicked. I know that they're coming in on us. But let me tell you what I know. And David knows from personal experience. He says, the only way to deal with fear, the only way to fight fear is with fierce faith. How do you deal with fear? You fight fear with fierce faith. Not faith in faith, but faith in God. And that's what he does in this passage. He says, listen, I, I know what's going on. I know the fear that you have. I have fear. I am afraid too. But my faith, my trust is in the God I know. He's saying, I know who God is. That's what he says here. God is the one I'm going to take refuge in. I'm going to find my refuge. I'm going to find my strength. I'm going to find my wisdom not in my circumstances, not by caving into the emotional moment, not by trying to make everyone and everything better and happy. No, I know who God is. My refuge is in him. And first of all, he says, listen, God is above me. He's seated on his heavenly throne. And we know that Christ is seated on his throne to the right hand of the Father. It's been done. He is in charge. He is in control. No dictator, no leader, no prime minister, no president is in charge here. God is ultimately in charge. God is on his throne. God is above me, is what he's saying in those first few verses. Also, what's he saying? He's saying, God is in me. He says, he is in his holy temple. What did Paul write? Paul says, your bodies are the temple of God's spirit. So not only is God above me, he rule, rules and he reigns, he's transcendent, but God is also in me, he's imminent, and he gives me the power to make it through and to face the real world, real time fears that are assailing me in my life. He's above me, he's in me, and finally we see in this passage that he is ahead of me. He will, in the future, bring justice. He will allow the upright to see him, to see his face. And we see the face of God of course, in his son, 
Jesus Christ. So how do we follow in the footsteps of these godly men and women, though imperfect in scripture, how do we follow them in fighting faith? We, I mean, fighting fear. We fight fear with fierce faith. Faith is a tenacious trust in who God is. He's above us. He's in us. And he goes ahead of us to prepare the way. And that takes care of the what if room. What if this happens? What if? that happens. What if calamity strikes? What if, you know what? God is still in your what ifs. So many times we get so consumed about life and about fears and we start playing out these different scenarios, but we forget to factor in the grace and provision of God. God gives us what we need when we need it. He's our father. He cares for us. He's given us his son. He's given us his spirit to walk with us, to allow us to deal with the fears we face in our life right now. Right now. It's fierce faith. Not passive faith. Not intellectual faith. Fierce faith. Tenacious trust in the God who is really there, the God who's above, the God who is in us by his spirit, the God who is ahead of us in his providence. That's how we deal with real time fear. And that allows us to make tough calls. Tough decisions and leave the results to God. We have to move forward. God calls us always to be moving forward with Him, dealing with the conflict dealing with the battle within and the battle without. I feel out of control. God's in control. I don't know how to face this situation. He goes before you. He's already there. I don't have the power and the strength to deal with this. I feel helpless when I'm weak. He is strong in me. And he's given us so many tools, right? The Christian faith is not it's not golf. It's not tennis. Sorry to use a sports analogy. This is the first. It's not a, another joke. It's not, it's not a solo sport. It's more like bas, you know, basketball or baseball, 
football, right? It's a team sport. When we come into Christianity or we have a born-again experience or you find God or whatever you call that, you are invited to be a part and connected to a community of people, a church, a team. It's part of the deal. There's no, when you look back at the history of the church, there's no a la carte, I'm to become a Christian separate from a church. That's not possible. And so when we're fighting fear, when we're dealing with situations where we feel out of control and helpless and hopeless, we have one another, one another, one another, each other to encourage us to be there and to give us wisdom when we think our emotions are gonna take us away, especially that emotion of fear. So he's given us these wonderful tools where we can you know, take refuge in the Lord, but that refuge is also right here in this room. It's also in the church, it's in the community. It's not just with our one-on-one time with God. And that's how we, we fight and deal with fear. And that's a part of our, of our uh, toolbox, if you would, or our arsenal when it comes to fierce faith. And the God who is right above us, the God who is, is in us, and the God who is going before us. Well, I don't know what that fierce face emoji looks like. You know, the fierce faith emoji. But if you find it, please send it to me, okay? Because we need it. 